This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And here's Fox creeping forward. He pulls up, 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nevania, Bielitsa. Yes, we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? Doing good. I'm doing good. I got up very early this morning, and... We're not recording super late or anything, but I'm just, I'm very tired, so I'm trying to pick myself up here. How are you doing? There you go. Sounds like I'm a little more awake than you are, but really just uh, another day in the life. Getting used to new place I moved into and realizing every day that I don't have some basic household thing and happen to run a Target way too often. But yeah, another day in the life. So going well. Uh, I was excited that I think it was yesterday there was some Sacramento news with these front office hirings and three different people added to the list along with Monty McNair and that is Wes Wilcox as assistant GM, Phil Jabor, hopefully I'm saying that last name right, as VP of player personnel and Paul Johnson as director of basketball operations. First impressions of this, did any of the names stand out to you? I know Wes Wilcox was on the uh, potential GM candidate list. Yeah, well, that's the big standout to me for sure. And it's not even that I'm, I don't know, it's not even that I'm enamored with Wes Wilcox in particular. I don't think I would have been super excited if he was the GM, the new GM. Uh, But to get a guy that was a well-qualified candidate, at least to be in the GM race, to get him as assistant GM, I think that is a really positive sign. I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm I'm impressed. Like I, I'm I'm genuinely impressed that they got you know names that aren't certainly they're not household names, the Monty McNairs and the West Wilcoxes of the world, but among the the educated NBA um, front office world, like these guys are really well respected. I honestly don't even know that much about either one of them. We've certainly learned more about Monty McNair, but um, and West Wilcox will be learning more about it as well, but I do know their reputations are very high, um, and the fact that the Kings just landed two guys that probably could have gotten a job in a lot of different front offices across the league, that's that's a good sign. These guys aren't former players. They aren't cousins of the owner. Like, these are real candidates. Right, and it's a full roster of a front office. There's some depth to it that – we didn't really see when, when Vlade was in charge. And like you're saying, it's candidates that would have got a job elsewhere and were previously on other teams. Uh, just to go through it a little bit, yeah, Wes Wilcox obviously primarily, most recently was in Atlanta. 
uh, even spent time as the general manager there. And there were some contracts that I wasn't a big fan of. Uh, Ken Bazemore's contract, he's still on it now, that four-year $70 million. Um, all in 2016, he signed Dwight Howard to a three-year $70 million. Dennis Schroeder, a four-year $70 million extension. Not terrible, but not a good deal. Um, not a great no, run. terrible, terrible. We hate Dennis Schroeder <laughs> in this podcast. Not a great run as general manager, but not horrible. He got some okay experience. He had some, I guess, like halfway decent draft picks um, and then ended up stepping down with a little bit of a controversial uh, statement that came out and then has not had a job since. But, yeah, I mean, I think a guy that with legitimate general manager experience I think is good to add to the roster. Um, you have notes on him or do you just want to have me run through? I can run through the background a little bit these other guys too. No, I, I, uh, yeah, man, I forgot about the, the controversy. Yeah, I have the statement. Yeah, I mean, yeah, might as well. Yeah, quote, I know you guys may be angry with me, uh, talking to media, but I'm used to it because I have a black wife and three mixed kids, so I'm used to people being angry and argumentative. And then he moved on to a special advisor role, not after, whatever that means. Not not an ideal situation. Um, yeah, I, I remember reading about that. I think in I forget who wrote the piece on the Kings Herald um, previewing all the the GM candidates, and I, I think he universally went to the bottom of that list for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Stan Jesh that wrote that wrote that piece. Yeah, shouts out Stan Jesh. So yeah, that's that's not that's not great, but I don't know. Um, at least it seems that. It seems that, you know, his work is not, uh, I don't know how I'd put that, like, it seems like his resume is good at least, even if he's saying dumb stuff. I don't know. That that, uh, that definitely makes me think twice. But, yeah, I guess I, I, I'll have to just stick by the fact that I'm, impre- I'm impressed that these names, at least by people that are smarter than me, more educated than me, are considered legitimate candidates and good candidates. Yeah, and for Phil Jabor, again, hopefully I'm saying that last name right, who was hired as VP of Player Personnel, he spent uh, 2006 to 2011 starting with an intern and ending as director of scouting for the G League team in Houston. So spent some time with, uh, obviously, alongside Monty McNair there, was a scout in Orlando for two years, and most recently was a big head of Philadelphia scouting department, uh, director of scouting there. And the last name on the list is Paul Johnson, who was hired as director of basketball operations. He has been a part of the OKC organization for a little while now. I didn't find an exact date. Recently was promoted to the assistant GM in the G League and had interviewed for the potential opening GM job of the Mexico City G League expansion team that was supposed to happen. And I believe ended up getting... Uh, canceled or maybe postponed, but my guess is, and, and this is just me speculating, I think there's a good chance you see this guy as the uh, follow-up to McClish and ends up being a uh, major part of the G League. Yeah, I mean, this, these all feel like qualified candidates. Um, you know, stupid comments aside, um, for now at least, it, it seems like these are all quality candidates. I know the Philadelphia connection is, is exciting for a lot of us. They have certainly found a ton of talent. Um, and, you know, I mean, Atlanta, too, they, they definitely made some of those foolish big signings, but they were known for, for a good stretch there of turning, like, 
you know, second round pick types or, you know, unsigned free agent types into something that that Atlanta team, it's easy to forget how competitive they were. Didn't they make a Eastern Conference Finals one of those years? Um, from 15 to 17, I want to say it was a little before that. It was before that. That was like the Horford years. Right, yeah. Uh, in 15-16, they won 48 games, 43 the year after. Yeah, right before that, 2015-16 was that 60-win team you're thinking of. So he took over right after that. Mm, okay. Well, no. so it was assistant GM for those really good Atlanta teams. Okay, so, I mean, th- these are guys that are associated with teams that have been successful, have been, you know, have done – Pretty pretty well uh, drafting and, and signing. I think certainly some panic moves, uh, big signings we've seen Philadelphia fall victim to that more recently as well. You kind of you build up a nice score of young players and then you start to panic because you need to find those last couple pieces and um, it doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Also, a little bit of a different direction. Dave Yeager hired in Philadelphia. What do you think of that? Yeah, good luck to him. I, I really I like Dave. I I hope that he finds success there. Um, yeah, I mean I, I think he's a good coach. He's a quality coach. He should be a quality assistant. Yeah, and what do you think the chances are? So Daryl Morey earlier today also stepped down from the GM spot of the Rockets, and they promoted uh, executive VP of basketball ops for Raphael Stone. What do you think the chances are? that McNair would have been the next guy in line? I mean, it seems reasonable. Um, it seems reasonable. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I, do you Does Maury strike you as the guy that is impulsive or maybe plans things out in advance? Well, I don't know. Like, the impression I got was that this wasn't – he wasn't planning on doing this and something kind of was the last straw with Fertitta. Um, so that's kind of the impression I got here. Yeah, it's tough to say. Who knows? I mean, Monty, it seems like if he really felt like he was the next man up, maybe he would have stuck that out. But, yeah, yeah I mean, obviously impossible to tell from our perspective. Right, yeah. Last offseason was a lot of big-name players moving around, and the league looked really different after um, those couple months. And, and this offseason is definitely a lot of, uh, front offices getting swapped and coaches and things like that and less big-name player movement, but definitely going to be a little bit of a different league going into next year. And obviously that also means the new draft guys coming in, and we're continuing our profiles with Zeke Naji and Daniel Oturu today. Yeah, two big guys that are interesting. I mean, they, they both have a little bit of a of a shot to them, which is always exciting for us. I know you and I have been chasing – centers that can shoot the ball for a long time. They're not um, sort of knockdown guys like your Jalen Smith of the world, but, you know, very much in contention for the early second-round picks for the Kings. I know that uh, both were mocked in the very early second round. We, uh, by Sam Vecini at The Athletic, I think we got Oturo in that one. Is that right? Yeah, Oturo went 35 to Sacramento in that mock. And, and Najee was 33, yeah. Just before. So both in that range. Both have ended up in a lot of mocks to Sacramento um, throughout this offseason and uh, in, in playoffs. And, and, well, I guess the offseason I'm kind of referring to is the the uh, the break in the midseason. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've selected both of these guys in mocks for the Kings before, so I like them. Um, yeah, I mean, what was your overall impression of th- this sort of early second round big man duo? I thought that there was some pieces that they were both working with that proved they could be really good bench bigs, but I thought that they both could be pretty underwhelming at times, and I saw paths to them being players that could defensively kind of get played off the floor um, if they were if they were regularly attacked. Um, they They both had some positives on that end. But for the most part, I thought they had a little bit of offensive versatility you were kind of working with. And I don't know. I, I just questioned, like, how valuable really this this type of player is. I think they're both interesting. I just think, like, if you're talking, and we'll get into them, obviously, but if you're talking, like, 35, I'd value more of a a ball handler. Like, if you could get, like, a Woodard or Bay at there, or if you could get, obviously, one of the uh, many guards that we've talked about. Like, I just think that those skill sets could be much more valuable than what are likely to like replacement level centers yeah it's interesting I mean you're describing all centers there really um I don't know that there's any I don't know that there's any centers in this draft that could not be played off the floor in certain situations like yeah I'm anti-precious at you're pro-precious I think we'd agree there's certainly a possibility he's unplayable in a, in a playoff matchup that where an opposing team is intending to to attack him. Same can be said for Isaiah Stewart. Same can be said for, you know, Tillman's a very versatile defender, but he can't shoot. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to see him kind of getting squeezed out of a of a crunch time lineup for that reason. Um, Jalen might be the, the most versatile, but he's not a very good lateral mover either. Yeah, if you get him in space. Poppin obviously has huge issues there. You know, it's maybe it's Yeka, and that's about mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah, I, I think for these two guys, I felt like they were – both of them had a better version of themselves a little bit higher in rated for me. That's interesting. So, uh, I mean, I actually thought the same thing for one. I'm going to be interested in the other one, but I definitely saw a better Zeke in this draft. And is that Isaiah Stewart? I, I was going to say it's Precious Tachua. Interesting. Okay. So I do see that. I, I, I debated both of them there. Um, yeah, I, I see it because, like, the idea with Seek would be some switchability, right, which is what you really value in Precious. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I see a little bit of both of it. And I, I guess I think of Zeke as a little bit more slippery while he does also use his strength. So maybe Precious is a bit better of a comp there. But it, the idea is that, like, it's this high-energy, you know, yeah. guy that's that's on the glass and and just, you know, a lot of it has to do with being physically dominant, having a good um, motor to him paired with length and athleticism. Yeah, and to me that is kind of precious. Um, I, I think that just, like, huge um, – impressive, intimidating athleticism is Precious's kind of whole deal right now. And Najee is is pretty close. I don't I mean he's pretty terrifying in transition and he's got quick feet. 
you know, it's a pretty good finisher. He is, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not like the sturdiest dude in the world. I think he's a little got a little bit of length factor going on. Um, I could definitely see him getting beat up by some NBA big men. I think the same could be said of Precious, but so. You know, Am I like, am I too crazy for saying for Zeke? I almost saw a bit of like, Cauley Stein that actually cared. Well, yeah, no, that's not crazy at all because Precious has been my Cauley Stein comp forever. But I do think that I'm more on board with Zeke's mindset than Precious. And again, I'm just basing this on like you know two yeah. half an hour videos uh, interviews. But yeah. Yeah, offensively, definitely Precious, like, plays outside of himself a little too often. But offensively for Zeke, like, I think you have him as a role man. And even, like, there I have hesitation in transition, like you said. I think that works really well for him. I think as a role man, though, his decision-making, if he is forced to pick up the ball and, like, try to make a decision in the short short roll, it's 70 turnovers and 27 assists. Like, I don't think he's a very good decision-maker. I think sometimes he kind of predetermines what he wants to do and will take charges and, and things like that. Um, so I, I think that he has a lot of work to to be done uh, offensively there in regards to kind of just like fine-tuning things. Yeah, and passing is actually an area that Kali Stein was underrated in for a long time. Yeah, I don't see that passing upside with, with Najee. But again, you know, I mean, it's worth noting how young he is. He is... He is super, super young. He is 19 still. Um, we'll get to our turn in a second, but he's a bit older. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's there's potential for things to be unlocked. You know, 19-year-olds can grow. They can improve. They can add stuff to their game. And I think that he did have a really big jump this season. He wasn't expected to be the best player for Arizona, and he was. Um you know, I was certainly hoping that would be Nico Mannion. It, it you know, it kind of, a lot of thing, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the team kind of ended up on Zeke's shoulders, and he did well with it. I mean, he was pretty productive with it. Um, I'll read off some of it. Did you read his basic stats? I'll, I can get that. I did not yet. So, 16 points a game, 8.6 rebounds. You know, a, almost a block. It's not amazing, uh, but really efficient finisher. You know, finished on uh, 57% from the field. That's 58.6 on twos and 29% on threes on a very small volume. But yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty productive line for a, a true freshman. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need. 
just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. It is, and I'm impressed that he was, like you said, the best player on a team with likely two first-round picks that are not himself. And I think that, you know, he he did it in – well, well, he did end up getting plays called for him, obviously, but a lot of it was just kind of within the flow of the game. And I think that he does have a little bit of a higher floor that he's working with here. But um, on the defensive end, like, I thought that I was really underwhelmed by his, by his rim protection to only get – less than a block a game, 0.9, and I thought that his his positioning in regards to when he was on the weak side uh, was really poor, and a lot of times he just wasn't there um, ahead of the play. So I, I worry about his, his rim protection and thought that more of his defensive potential was kind of coming from moving his feet laterally when even there I wasn't, like, amazingly impressed. I thought there was potential, but, yeah, I mean, to be a guy that I think is coming in as a center – and be a poor rim protector, I, I, I definitely worry. Yeah, his shot blocking is a major concern. It almost feels like he grew a lot recently or something. Like, he still thinks he's a three or a four. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he just is – now he has to block shots and, and defend in the post, but he's not ready to yet. Yeah. Uh, that's total speculation that maybe, you know, I mean, I don't know where he played in high school, but it just he doesn't have a center's mentality. He doesn't have a, the defensive mentality of a five. He's definitely got the the four. He's definitely got the power forward mentality. And he talks about it, too. You know, he describes himself as a four. And unfortunately, he's not going to be that. I don't see that possibility at all. Yeah, he's definitely got to be a five, and I think that the rim protection needs to take a jump there. At very least, he's a good rebounder, um, prim- primarily on the offensive end, where yeah, he pulled down 3.1 a game, and you know a lot of that came with effort, but good energy there. And he was pretty good on the defensive end as well, so at very least he can kind of close out plays that way. But the, the rim protection definitely needs to get there for him. And I want to ask, you kind of opened with saying you think both of these guys have potential as shooters. What do you make of, of Najee's three-point shot? So the three-point shot, you know, again, very small volume, half an attempt a game on 30%. I thought that there's something there. It's super raw. It, his form is not incredible. He's going to need to work on it, but he could work on it. I mean, again, he's just 19 what really impressed me wasn't the three-point shot, but the free throw percentage on the volume. Really, really high volume and really impressive percentage. 6.3 attempts a game, 76%. I mean, that's legit. And and as well, you know, a pretty solid percentage on long-range twos. So I think there's, like, some projectability there. Yeah, mid-range jump shots on Synergy, I have uh, 50%, 93rd percentile. He definitely was a... A decent mid-range shooter, um, but not seeing it from three. I, I I don't feel confident saying that like he will be a three-point shooter, but I could definitely it's if it, it's within the realms of possibilities for sure with Zeke. I'm right there with you, and if 
it doesn't happen, I mean, it's a pretty big swing factor. Yeah. Because like we said, we both see him as a center. He's only got a seven-foot wingspan. It's not like anything positive for a center. That's kind of on the lower end for a center. Um, doesn't have the shot blocking. And so if he's just a guy that's going to have to score inside for you and then a little bit of stretch in the mid-range, that's not – I don't know. Like that's not going to really work for me. But if he can knock down a three, then it's a whole different story. Then he's kind of a stretch five and then, you know, a very athletic stretch five, and then I'm, I'm, I'm relatively excited. Yeah, and the other guy's definitely knocking down threes. At least I feel good about saying that in Daniel Oturu. Uh, who just played his sophomore season at Minnesota uh, to go through his numbers, 20, 20 points, 11.3 rebounds, 2.5 blocks on 56% from the field, 36% from three, and 70% from the free throw line. Uh, to kind of start with that three-point percentage, do you buy it for Arturo? Because his freshman season, he only shot two of them. Uh, but in the sophomore year, he did take a jump to shooting 52% of them again at 36.5%. And, I thought I, I liked it. I, I buy it. What's crazy is like I almost buy it less. I they're like the reverse situation where one guy's doing it from three, but his indicators aren't really there from uh, the free throw line and from the mid range, and one guy's got better indicators from mid range and free throw line, but isn't doing it from three. I don't know. Um, the form looks pretty good. It's just super, super slow. Uh, and, and so, like, it's fine. You can put him in the corner, and as long as he's open and he has the time to get it off, I mean, I don't really have reason to doubt it. But the volume isn't crazy high. You know, I mean, a few more of those rim out, and it's looking kind of like borderline functional. The range, it's not like he's splashing anything from – far beyond the three-point line, uh, the college three-point line. So I wonder, does is the range become a factor? Um, you know, I mean, I mean, even even a few percentage points, and, and it could be a factor. It could be the difference of a guy who's shooting. I mean, like if you if he ends up like a thirty percent shooter in the NBA, that's like almost not really usable. That's fair. Um, I, I just don't think that, like, the three-point percentage – I mean, the free-throw percentage is necessarily, like, a red flag that you're working with with, you know, 70% on almost six of them a game. Like, I think that that isn't something that I look at and I'm like, all right, well, I, I don't think this guy's going to be able to shoot threes. Like, I see where your concern comes from, but I don't know. Like, I, I think that he also had a pretty nice a nice touch that he was working with, and – yeah, I thought that the form looked nice, and I, the B version, or I guess the A-plus version of Oturu for me was Jalen Smith, and the the big difference, obviously, is, like, the level of three-point shooter. Like, we even saw Jalen Smith kind of shooting off a of movement at times, which is ridiculous for his size, but I, I think Oturu is kind of the same thing, where he's a weak side rim protector and three-point shooter, like, what you're hoping, and I think we're going to see more commonly in the NBA of, like, a three and D uh, rim protector five man. Yeah, no, I mean it makes sense. The count makes sense. I, I just don't know that I want to. I want to buy the three fully. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it was the the freshman year, sixty one percent from the free throw line that scared me a little more. 
obviously, if you improve, yeah. I can't knock you for improving. But it, it's not like he jumped up to uh, that. That it really is like you know a couple misses, and again you're in the 60s, and you know if you're a big man and you shoot your free throw percentage in the 60s, it just would be a surprise to me if you were a really good three point shooter. Yeah, fair enough. I, I like that he has – I feel like he has more versatility to his offensive game. Like, I guess you can still knock down that mid-range, but Aturu, again, I feel comfortable with the three. And then finishing around the rim, I mean, 96th percentile for Aturu, 71%. Um, it was the 78th percentile, 61% for Zeke that you were working with there. Um, and, yeah, while also he wasn't a very good playmaker, I, I you know, there's no – passing that you're getting from either one of these players here. I thought that Aturu also kind of predetermined where he wanted to go. I just think I like the the versatility that he was working with a little bit better. I thought he was a better finisher, although like very notable, he goes to his right hand pretty much every time. And he didn't play in in the best division. Like Zeke probably played against better levels of competition. Um, but I, I think Aturu can because he'll have a gravity with his three-point shot, I think. And I think that he weirdly can, like, dribble once or twice and attack a closeout and then finish at the rim. Like, I thought he had a surprising first step for a big man. Huh, I, I didn't see that. I was not impressed with the quickness and the athleticism. I would give all the advantages on that front to Zeke Najee. I I don't know. I didn't see anything special from Arturo. Uh, Oturu in terms of quickness. Like, he's he's not unathletic, but I didn't like his feet. I thought he looked a little bit slow at times. He's mm-hmm. definitely a bigger, stronger guy. Maybe they're both 6'10", but Oturu is longer. I They're both listed at 240 on the sites that I use, but I thought Oturu, Oturu is much, much stronger looking. Um, and I think he, maybe it's just how he uses his body. He might have, like, wide shoulders. He almost reminded me of, like, a white side. His frame is fantastic, and Najee's is not. Um, I feel like Najee is not going to be able to build on his frame as much as Oturu. I, I'm definitely impressed. Like, Oturu's frame is better than Jalen Smith's by a significant margin. Mm-hmm. And I thought that Oturu did a good job. Both of these guys, actually, I thought did a pretty good job just straight post-up defense. But... I just don't know how how valuable that is. And they both had good post-up offense, but I kind of just, like, write off a little bit of both of it. Like, I think it's kind of bailout situations you're dealing with that or very situational in regards to post-defense that you're working with. And I don't think it's necessarily good enough that you're stopping, like, an Embiid, which is, you know, the level of players that are allowed to post up at this point in the NBA. Um, like, defensively, I like to Toru's. How, how I said that Zeke, I felt, was out of position in his weak side rim protection. I thought Aturu was pretty good there. But then when you got him in space was when you really saw the issues. I thought that there were moments of promising lateral quickness, but most of the time he wasn't turning quick enough and, and guys were blowing past him and there wasn't all too much of a recovery. So it's really, I, I think you just kind of do your best to keep him around the paint and keep him out, away from the perimeter and away from guarding in space and some weak side rim protection for Oturu compared to more of the the prior for Najee. Yeah, I'm with you. I didn't really mention my thoughts on Najee's lateral quickness, but I was actually really impressed. There's There are amazing highlights of Najee 
depending on the perimeter. There are also really ugly lowlights, but the potential is definitely there, and it's a, a much higher potential than Oturu on the perimeter, in my opinion. The blocks, the block shots from Oturu, I mean, this is the biggest differentiator between the two of them. One is a poor shot blocker, and one is an excellent shot blocker. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, to me, like, if I'm trying to divide up these guys, because they are similar, they're of a similar size, they play a similar position, they'll probably have similar-ish roles. Uh, I think Najee more of a rim runner, and a true more of a traditional offensive player, and probably more traditional defensive player or center. Um, the biggest, you know, they both have that little bit of shooting potential. The biggest dif- differentiators for me, shot blocking for Aturu in his favor. Then I don't know what the second biggest one is. It might be, it might be the age and the rawness, you know, giving that, that to Najee. He is, uh, what is it, a year and a half, a year and eight months younger. Mm-hmm. He has more potential to grow physically. The athleticism is already so high that if he becomes a smarter, well-coached player and he gets even stronger, even bigger, I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, is this just a, are we going back to typical ceiling versus floor here? Yeah, but, like, I kind of go back and forth on which one is is really the higher uh, ceiling guy. Like, I think that you could say Arturu is, like, a really well-rounded offensive game. Like, I guess in Zeke's ceiling, you're saying that he's hitting threes well. As well I don't see right? Arturu as having a well-rounded offensive game. Yeah, I, I guess it's just, like, finishing when that's set up for him and knocking down a three-point shot. Yeah, I mean, he's not passing. He's not, he just has no handles, in my opinion. He likes his closeout a little better, attacking closeouts. I, I, I see him as doing nothing other than fin- finishing at the rim and shooting from the corner. Like, I don't mm-hmm. see him as a well-rounded offensive player. Well, they're both, like, I, I mean, like, well-rounded for, like, a role player. Like, they're both total role players, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's more potential for Najee. I think that because he is a borderline freak athlete and he is younger and he, you know, assuming that he can turn that shot into a real thing. And then, you know, he had that mid-range game a lot down a lot better. So I, in terms of versatility and the types of ways that he could hurt you on offense, if we're saying they both achieve their best version of their best self, I think Najee is more effective, certainly on offense. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. 
Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Interesting. Yeah, I might disagree with you a bit because I do buy Oturu's three-point shot um, and just not having seen it from Zeke. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not all too far off. I don't think either one of these guys, like, are have all too much of a difference between them. I do like Oturu a little bit better um, because at the same time I thought that he was also pretty raw and has a lot of room for potential even though he is a little bit older. I still think he that he does have that time to grow a bit. And, you know, there were moments of, I thought, some okay lateral speed to him that will make him at least passable defending in, you know, a hedge or in a in a drop coverage. And I think that will make him fine. And you could see, like, a, a legitimate 3 and D big out of him. Um, and, and I don't think that's all too far off or unrealistic. And I think that, you know, looking for someone to – fit alongside Bagley with that mold made me realize this year that that's kind of a valuable or at least a rare thing currently in the NBA. Yeah, I just, I'm not going to take it as a lock. I, I just, I think there's a lot of college players who can manage, you know, 35-ish percent on, you know, an attempt a game. And I don't know. I think, you know, one comp that I saw for Artur out there and and I, I like it. It's a King's comp. It's Alex Len. Mm, I, I mean, I just think he moves so much better than Alex Len. Like, even though Oturu does have problems with his moving, like, Len is so stiff and slow, and I think Oturu is at least faster than that. Well, I mean, we're talking about rookie Len. Uh, this is Len's yeah. seventh season in the league. Right, right. And Len, you know, I mean, Len has shot – well before as well. I mean, he shot 36.3% on 2.6 attempts per game from three at one point in his career. So, I mean, like, that's about what I'm looking at is, like, I mean, he's got a big body. Len's got a great frame. So does Oturu. I think that, like, peak Alex Len is kind of what you're looking at here. That's probably the case, although I'll say that, like, I think there's a – higher ceiling that you're working with. I think that's a likely outcome, but I think that, you know, there's a situation where Arturo ends up better than that. Yeah. I don't see a high chance of it. And Len, by the way, I'll just point out, um, you know, he's a top five pick, so. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then the, actually another Kings comp for Najee, you mentioned really call Stein. I actually have a different one. Holmes. It's not. I actually think I see a little bit of Holmes and Oturu, but this one is weird. Um, it's going to be a big stream, but there's a little bit of Marvin Bagley in Zeke Naji. Oh, God. Okay, wait. In what way here? I, I guess like transition, I kind of see. Excellent jumper, offensive rebounder. Everyone loves his jump, uh, getting boards. Uh, yeah, the the inability to block shots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's those basic things. It's just it's the potential to be an offense. I'm, and I'm not saying, like, actual Marvin Bagley, like, 
you know, not Marvin Bagley that was, you know, a top five pick, but the Marvin Bagley that you'd get in the top five of the, of the second round. Like a second right. round version of Marvin Bagley, whereas Arturo is like a second round version of Alex Lynn. Just in terms of player type. One that's a little more dynamic on offense, a little more athletic, uh, bouncier. Uh, you know, in theory, people think he can play on the perimeter. Just like that type of big where I think Arturo is super locked in as your tradition, more traditional anchor. Who, yeah, you'll let float out to the corner and take like a shot again. Yeah, it's interesting, and and obviously part of being like the second rounder Bagley is is less usage and you know being able to be efficient in that lesser role, and I think there's um, some good value in that. And yeah, if you were talking fits alongside Bagley, I mean I think that like Oturu clearly is the better fit, and for a team that you know allowed the highest field goal percentage at the rim last year, like personally I, I would favor Oturu if we were talking. You had to choose one of the two uh, for Sacramento. Yeah. I did as well, um, but I'll say these are the two closest players that I've ever done in in any of our two-player uh, breakdowns. Like, I, I used that, that dumb numerical grading system that I have <laughs> for prospects, and they came out within one point of each other on a 300-point scale. So, wow. like, it, it's dumb, and it – I think it kind of at that point is like, you know, who do you prefer or what type of player do you need or whatever. But, yeah, basically I had them dead even. I don't know. I mean, even I'm now, scared of a big that can't protect the rim. I'm not. I'm not. I just don't I, – I don't, I don't think that, like, shot blocking is the, is the whole thing anymore. Like, I, I think centers are just so – Dime a dozen. Like you mentioned it, your first opening comment about this was like, I don't think these guys are valuable because you can just get these guys from right. wherever. I, I think like the potential, like it's it's got to be about ceiling here, and the you know year and eight months where you know year and a half difference in them is probably enough for me to just call this a straight up wash. Where like you know you're, I think it is ceiling floor. I think Oturo is a more sure thing. And Najee's a, a little more of an upside play. And I think what it comes down to is, you know, do you want a guy that's safer or do you want to take a risk? Like, which team are you? You know, you're in the first – you're in the early part of the second round. Do you need a project or do you need a guy that can contribute? I know that uh, everybody that does a lot of draft stuff for the Dallas Mavericks and he wants just someone that can contribute right away, he's in love with Daniel Oturo for that team. You know, but a team like the Hawks, I saw uh, some Hawks writers, they're in love with Ignaji for that team. I think that makes sense. Is there any situation where you prefer one of these two of Oturu or Naji over Xavier Tillman or Isaiah Stewart? No, there's not. Yeah, me either here. And I would assume that goes the same for, obviously, uh, Kong Wu, Precious, and Jalen Smith. That's correct. These guys are 34th and 35th on my big board. Okay, yeah, I got to lay out everybody um, in a total big board for myself. But in regards to bigs, I have them. Uh, the the last two out of all of those that we have mentioned so far here, and if we were talking pick 35 for Sacramento, still thinking now that we've dived into these guys that you would prefer likely a point guard there for them? 
Yeah, I think I would take either of them over Cassius Winston. I think mm-hmm. they're both significantly younger and have more upside than the four-year point guard type, like the Frank Mason type. Um, but aside from Cassius... I might even like Malachi Flynn. I, I do prefer Malachi Flynn. There, there's no one that we've discussed on this podcast in depth that... I, I, these guys are on the bottom, except for Cassius Winston. I prefer both of them to Cassius just because of the age. It just scared the four-year senior yeah. thing. It it just and being so small, it just scared me away. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I think Najee and Otu will likely end up as you know guys that'll be in the league for a long time, but likely just float around different rosters and be serviceable backup bigs. Um, you know, maybe with potential of being low uh, low-level starters in the league, but most most likely to me, I kind of see them as serviceable journeymen throughout their career. And, yeah, I mean, it's still nice to lock one of those guys up on a pretty good deal when you're talking a second rounder. I think once you reach 43, I definitely start to uh, get some interest in some of these guys and would would not hate seeing either one of them in Sacramento. I think that, you know, you could use some depth there uh, positionally. And, yeah, I mean, definitely names to keep an eye on at 43. Definitely, and I'm on board. I think one of them could easily slide out to 43 as well. I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, I think, you know, there's just a, a huge pool of guys that, that you start to reach once you talk. Even like almost 25 in this draft um, to a certain point, but especially probably uh, mid-30s where, yeah, I mean, there's a multitude of names that could drop or maybe even just situations like I believe was the case with Terrence Davis where, you know, it, unless you were going to give him a guaranteed deal, he just decided to go undrafted, and you never know what's going to happen in the second round. Definitely could see one of those guys there for Sacramento. Um, I think that's all I have on them. Do you have anything else on them or maybe two guys that you want to uh, pick out for the next episode we do here? Yeah, there's only two guys left that I think could crack my first round. So I have we've done 36 players. And that's why I mentioned Najee Noturu, 35-36. I'm sorry, 34-35. Um, but there's only two that I think could really disrupt my my big board. Is one of them Leandro Balmero? Yeah, it's Balmero and Desmond Bain. We still have not done. Oh, we have not. Okay. That works right. great for me. Everybody else, I think, is locked in second round. There's, like, you know, the Ramseys. There's... Paul Reed. Mm-hmm. Elijah Hughes actually is 30th on Bastini, surprisingly. I actually kind of hate his game, Loki, mm-hmm. but I, I haven't really studied it. Uh, Killian Thiele, maybe. Like, you know, I'm just maybe. But yeah. realistically, Balmaro and Bain are the only ones that I think could crack my top 30, which would push, like, Isaiah Stewart into the second round and maybe even Precious Achua. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, we've gone through most of the first. I'm I'm good to go with Palmaro and and Bain for the next episode here. And yeah, um, I I don't mind the game of Najee or Turu, um, but overall probably replaceable level. Um, yeah, let us know what you guys think of of those talents and the potential of Sacramento taking them and at 35 or 43. And definitely check out the Kings Herald where there's continued draft coverage and coverage of any Kings news and support them via the Patreon that they have on their website. 
And if you like this episode of the King's Bulls podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.